Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today we are talking about a sneaky important episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Of course, we're talking about season two, episode seven, Rules of Acquisition. Uh, Mike, you have been fighting tech all morning. We're going to cheer you up with some hot Deep Space Nine content. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. Uh, things just weren't agreeing with me today. That's fine. My, now my in-ears aren't working well, I mean, which is totally par for the course. That's how they generally work. But that all said, I'm feeling good, Keith. I had a nice watch with our patrons last night uh, of the episode. I've got a lot of thoughts. In fact, I was left... It's funny, our current status of the world, you know, like, I'm very happy uh, that various uh, groups, minority groups that have long been oppressed and have not had their voices heard are seemingly getting an opportunity, however in late. Some areas, in some at sometimes. areas, at some times. Sometimes, trust me, I understand my privilege and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not trying to minimize any of that. So, but it's interesting in, through that lens you start to adjudicate whether a storyline like we're going to talk about today is enough. How much kudos mm. and pat on the back do I want to give them from back in time in 1993? I think it's very progressive and a lot of interesting uh, avenues to discuss this week. But does it? I don't want to get too congratulatory because is it enough is the ultimate question. That is – I think that – and. To be fair, especially when you're talking about uh, gender and sex and all of that and and all that kind of stuff with Star Trek, is it enough? Is a really big and interesting question for the '90s era generation. Today, I think its uh, representation is done pretty well, but in the '90s, even even by '90s standards, we had some questions. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think this is a very interesting episode to discuss. So. Very excited to get into it. And uh, Mike, you mentioned you watched uh, the episode last night with the patrons. How, how does one do that? That sounds like a fun plan. All you have to do is pony up your hard-earned cash and join yes. us at patreon.com slash K&M. Like our dear, dear, dear friends, Brian Kaufman, Casey Clark, CloudLover69, Jason Moe, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious gaming account who also gave us a lot of fun alternate uh, names, so we'll have to well, swap yeah, that out which, uh, here and there. Which uh, I already did swap it out. You just didn't swap it out. Oh, I didn't. I didn't download the new thing yet. It's been a morning. Uh, uh, <laughs> Mike, those, is, Mike has been going through it. So. But as long as that account, gaming account stays with us, we'll uh, we'll swap in the pseudonyms. Uh, Alan Zimmerman, CRM Productions, Charles Babbage, and Grim Toys, welcome to the family. Uh, we're so thankful. Those who join us on the Patreon get all kinds of fun stuff. They get to watch me watch Deep Space Nine, relatively intoxicated. They get uh, Mike and Keith watch the animated series. We watch some TNG. We've bounced in AMAs, uh, sneak peeks of new shows when we're dropping them, and things like that. So thanks for your support. Patreon.com slash K&M, integral part of the team. Big time, yeah, and uh, because I do have the ups updated slide, here's some of my here's here's my favorite one from, uh, of course, gaming account. But of course, we know them as Charles Nivens. Yes, uh, our good friend Charles Nivens, we've been communicating with for a long time. Uh, but uh, I think the best pseudonym, and it's up there, is Worf's Boot Shivs. <laughs> if you if you are a fan of uh, look at my Star Trek toys, not only did Mike manifest the idea of boot shivs. Uh, our good friend uh, JD created it. So, mm -hmm. so many shivs, so many uh, so little wonderful time. things. 
So little, t- so many shivs, so little time. Uh, but that feels like a good an opportunity to start talking about time. Uh, perhaps even talking, uh, going into the time machine to talk about the time that Rules of Acquisition aired. And that, of course, was on November 7th, 1993, which reminds me, folks, uh, election coming up. Make sure you vote. Early yes. voting is, is starting in many different places. Uh, get your uh, mail-in ballot if you need that. Uh, so get on it, folks. It's coming up. It's always important. And we always are going to be uh, talking about that stuff on the show. So, But it wasn't in 1993, unless it was a local election, because that was an off year. Uh, but November 7th, 1993... The top song. I'm so excited because uh, we, you know, we we can't really do the covers anymore because we get we get uh, copyright notices. However, I feel this is this is such a uh, this is a gimme for you, Mike. Okay, can't wait. This is a gimme. We are going to get a magnificent rendition of "I Would Do Anything for Love," and I but I won't do, do that. Anything for love, but I won't. Do that, and what is that, Keith? And apparently, this just in: that's mm. subscribe to Mike and Keith's Patreon at Patreon.com/slash KNM. Uh, no, just kidding. I, I thought I had a joke and I forgot it, and so I tried to improv something and it didn't work. <laughs> I would do anything for a joke, but I can't remember the second part because I forgot the first part. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm making how about, the joke. How about, uh, uh, and I would do anything for love, but I won't find a bad cover on the internet because then we get a copyright claim. And apparently when you get a copyright claim, you still can't monetize your channel. So you really can only use non-copyrighted uh, audio. And it's really a pain in the butt because it doesn't offer you a lot of solutions and fun things you want to show your viewers. But we're going to make we're going to make it work because Keith and I are trying to make a buck. Uh, I mean, I thought that was a great solution. Of course, this is the legendary Meatloaf, uh, which... I, of course, remembered this song being huge, mm-hmm. but I don't think I clocked that it was Meatloaf back in 1993. And oh, yeah, Jim Steinman, like, man. Jim Steinman and Meatloaf. Of they course. Had, yeah. of course. Look, I saw the original production of Dance of the Vampires, so I'm there. Uh, I saw the Meatloaf musical. Bat Out of Hell. Twice, Keith. Twice. So can I quickly tell you my Meatloaf Bat Out of Hell story? Maybe it's for Geekly, but whatever. I'm going to tell you right now. So uh, Jen, my CEO Jen, my wife, uh, the, her press agent for the show she was in uh, had was also the press agent for Bad Out of Hell Meatloaf when it came mm-hmm. over to America. And so, do you want to go, Mike? Of course I want to go. So I went, and as is sometimes the case, that seemed like the type of musical you want to go to high, right? So I was it's like high. three quarters of your identity. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty high. But what I wasn't expecting was, without even close comparison, this was the loudest live musical i've ever been really and it was so loud to the point where it started pumping the bass was thumping my heart so fast i thought i started having a panic panic attack that the weed mixed with the loud bass physically altering my chest cavity i had a panic attack when i resolved the panic attack Mm -hmm. i had maybe one of the most rip-roaring times i've ever had at a theater it felt like the wedding singer in its sort of uh, comedic audacity most most planned, mostly planned comedic audacity. Twenty percent not planned. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I went back. I went back again with my brother and my good friend Mike, and we watched it again. This time, 
I was stone cold sober and I, the, the comedy was still there. It just, it wasn't 80, 20 planned. It was more 30, 70. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the message here is if there's a Jim Steinman meatloaf musical in your area, go. Yes. Because it will be incredibly memorable. Memorable. Dance of the Vampires is one of the most memorable things I've ever seen on a Broadway stage. Um, I'm choosing that word carefully, uh, but it, I definitely <laughs> feel blessed that I was able to witness it in front of my eyes. So don't miss the opportunity. All right, we have to keep moving uh, because we have to talk about week two of The Nightmare Before Christmas, which was our top movie once again. Halloween was over, but our love of The Nightmare Before Christmas was not mike what else were we watching that night oh he is some interesting things i've forgotten all about in the primetime slots on mm. abc we were watching home improvement obviously that we uh, at the time really loved uh sure grace under fire which was sort of oh. like abc's other roseanne attempt it was it was fake roseanne but it was pretty good i think yeah. if i remember correctly uh, then the 10 o'clock movie was moon over miami I don't know if was that even a movie or is that a TV show? It says no. It's it's got a subtitle. It had a, an episode title, "Careless Dentist Blues." So that was a show. Moon over Miami. Sure. In the prime time slot, mm. in, on ABC we had Thea. Never do not remember that show. And then followed by Joe's Life. So ABC was firing on all cylinders. Firing up. Woo! Uh, ABC. CBS and primetime had the nanny. Of course. Mm -hmm. And then remember that special. How'd they do that? Do you remember that? They kind of showed no. how they did. Okay. Not not so much. And then on Fox, Keith, it was the power two hour. Mm. We had Beverly Hills 90210 followed by Melrose Place. That's when Fox was like, oh, we have, they were C-dub before C-dub, or I guess it's now E, right? They were E before E. Anyway. Is it E now? Have they changed it? Well, E is kind of where all those like reality show type. Like, well, your, yes, your housewives yes. and what, which is why that kind of Beverly Hills 90210 was sort of the kind of a precursor to that in a, in a way. Anyway, and then on NBC we had Unsolved Mysteries, one of my dear favorites. Robert Stack, thank you so much for your creepiness. And then now with Tom Brokaw and Katie Couric uh, was a, a primetime news thing they did uh, at nine o'clock on NBC. Yeah, well, uh, interesting you mentioned the nanny. Because in the season three trailer for Picard, uh, would you believe we see Daniel Davis back wow. for a quick shot? Do you know who Daniel Davis, who played Niles on Nanny, do you know who Daniel Davis plays in the Star Trek university? I, university universe? Is he the dean? No, who? I don't know. He's Moriarty. Oh, wow. So that's, that's Data's I mean, foil, right? Data's foil, yes, who did uh, who we saw in two very memorable episodes of Next Generation, who's apparently coming back, uh, which to me, I'm certainly hoping this means that Picard will have at least a couple of uh, one-off episodes as opposed to the, you know, like, and I love the serialized stuff, but I miss like the episode of the week. And if we have a Moriarty episode, I am here for it. Uh, that's going to be fun. So our last little a segment we do here timely segment we hit the hard news mm, here yeah. on uh november 7th 1993 because it gets serious here yeah yeah yeah. no this this is very good uh, you probably got all of this in your in your history class depending on what age you were um you know so uh but so here we, we got a bunch of important news to talk about 
this week, including, of course, 1963 plane crash survivors found uh, after 30 years. Luckily, they were on a Gilligan's Island uh, paradise, so they were they were fine. They were happy. Uh, we also a, a man. We figured we figured this out. I don't know what it did to the markets, but a man turns lead into gold with just oh. supermarket ingredients. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like Quark would be all over that. Uh, a psychic gets a letter from Jesus. Uh, always good. Jesus, of course, is before email. Mm -hmm. So if you if you Jesus need to send uh, communication to a psychic, uh, send a mail. You know, throw a stamp on it. Get there. And lastly, of course, a massive UFO sucking boats out of the ocean. Big week. Really, really big week in the hard news, Mike. Yeah, I mean, though, to be honest, cruising has gotten cheaper. But back then, if you paid the high prices, you could get us uh, sucked up into a UFO. It was, uh, instead of the buffet, sometimes you wanted to get that that ascension. I don't know what any of that means, but I'll take it. I, I don't know what type of cruising you were talking about, but we're getting sucked up and there's a boat and I don't know what you're talking you're about. dirty. Come on. <laughs> oh, I'm dirty. Sure. All right, let's talk about Deep Space Nine, Season 2, Episode 7, Rules of Acquisition. This episode was directed by David Livingston, who last directed In the Hands of the Prophets, the season finale of Season 1. It has a teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear, and a story by Hilary Bader, who last did Battle Lines. So, uh, very interesting. It's It's funny, Mike, you don't know it? But this is actually a very important episode on Deep Space Nine. But it's all like super casual about it. Huh. And I'm really curious to see, uh, to hear your thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. uh, but before we do that, let's do a little trivia trivial. Trivial trivia. Nailing it. Now Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. All right. Well, uh, this is the first mention of the Dominion in this episode. And at this stage, it was just a name for an idea to be fleshed out later. I'm not going to talk much more about it uh, for spoilers world, but just, uh, hey, there it is. Somebody mentioned the Dominion. That's interesting. But apparently it's not just they don't just mention it. This is one of my questions of the episode. It's like mm -hmm. the whole point that like Quark is negotiating about something with somebody but it's not really like explained. It's just we see Nagus make a face. That's right. That's right. And we'll we'll talk more about it. But uh, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say uh, maybe the Dominion's going to play a role moving forward. Yeah, I would say that uh, that tracks. That tracks. So big spoiler, folks. All right. Next up, this episode began as a Next Generation episode that didn't get produced, um, which is interesting. With Pell the character of Pelt being involved with Riker. Uh, which is which is interesting as a, as opposed to Quark. Um, I could totally see how it would play out that way. And Riker did have a, a similar episode to that. Uh, but so this was an idea that got kicked around. And sometimes when there's a, a leftover from next gen, it doesn't feel well integrated when it comes into mm -hmm. Deep Space Nine. But this one definitely did, I think. Uh, so uh, next up, the first time this episode aired, when they did the episode's episode title, acquisition was spelled wrong. The same way I always screw up how you spell it. They forgot the C. Uh, interesting, because we, we've been talking There's about a typos. C in acquisition? There sure is. Oh, I totally spelled it wrong on my recap 
uh, for the yeah, well, watch along. Well, well, but you're in good company because that showed up on national television. Uh, it's funny how often typos still exist, even on the biggest scales. Huh. They did subsequently fix it. So it only aired once wrong. Uh, but they did go back and fix it. Uh, next up, this is the first portrayal of a female Ferengi. And uh, all of Trek, and there will only be two, if you'd believe it. Uh, and this is the first time we see the game of Tongo. We will be seeing Tongo many more times moving forward, but this is the first time we see it. And lastly, this episode was nominated for an Emmy in makeup design. Yes. Um, of course. I mean, because with this, you've got like makeup on makeup and layers and layers of very, very cool. The makeup team that got nominated for an Emmy were Camille Calvet, Thomas E. Surprenant. Surprenant, that's what I wrote. I, You know... Chances are I wrote that wrong, but uh, I accurately said what I wrote down. Karen Westerfeld, of course, under the tutelage of Michael Westmore. So that's trivial trivia. Let's talk about what Next Generation was doing. This week, they aired the episode Attached, in which Picard and Crusher get telepathically attached, and it's awkward. Uh, it's like Freaky Friday, TNG style. Well, well, isn't Freaking Friday they switch? Oh, this, but this is just telepathically swapped. This, or they're, this they're able to, they're able to read each other's minds, mm -hmm. and uh, you know they've they've been like, will we, won't we, bone for like six six and a half seasons at this point. So, right. it's uh, it's interesting. Our guest stars this week include Helene Udi as Pell, Brian Thompson as Inglatu who we would see on two episodes of The Next Generation, two episodes of Deep Space Nine, and one episode of Enterprise for a total of five different characters. You might also remember him from The X-Files. We, of course, have some of our regulars, Max Grodenchik as Rom. We have Amelia Crow as Zyrie, Tony Ron, uh, Tiny Ron as Mayhardu, and, of course, Wallace Shawn is back as Zek. We have ourselves a full-on Ferengi episode, uh, which is one of the things that Iris Stephen Bear did a lot of developing of the whole Ferengi world, uh, which is uh, just cool, which is interesting. Did you so state my, who yeah. directed this episode? I did. It's Ron uh, David Livingston. Who uh, said Ron Livingston? Yeah. No, it wasn't Ron Livingston. It's David Livingston. I have to say, I'm glad they got an Emmy for makeup design. Absolutely worth it, but... Kudos to Livingston for the direction of this episode. There are more brilliant framings and shots mm. in this episode than of recent memory. Now, because of the aspect ratio, they have to be super close shot a lot. And so it demanded that the makeup be excellent because the Frankie mm -hmm. faces take up a large portion of the frame. But they just used a lot of cool up angles and ways to, f and, and lighting was excellent. I, I think I said in my watch along, this is one of the most, and this whole season has been, and it sounds like it's going that direction, has been one of the most more cinematic type seasons. Uh, the, mm. I keep saying the money's on the screen. What I mean by that is it looks just beautiful. Now, I have to say, Keith, we talked about this last week. I think I'm, I'm watching an AI upscaled version. Yes. So it's like extra Which beautiful. Which you still haven't given to me yet. Yeah, I, I meant to do that last night, and then I was, I didn't. <laughs> Did you see me attempt to come up with an excuse, but then just be like, I didn't do it. Um. <laughs> you, you, want, you want to try and tell that joke again? <laughs> no. Uh, 
anyway, I will send you that. But I, I need to watch. I need to do a comparison. I need to go back and watch it on Paramount just to see, like, I'm sure it's still as beautiful, but it just, you'll see in some of the screenshots, it's like, oh, yeah. my God, this is, like, it's so beautiful. So uh, kudos. If nothing else, when we talk about this episode, it is just startling, startlingly beautiful. Yeah, which is funny to say about a Ferengi episode, but I think you're right. Mm-hmm. So I think it's time to look at some of those screenshots. Let's go into our screening room and talk about this episode. Oh, I didn't, oh, no. I didn't do that. Sorry. That was my fault. Oh, oh no. That's right. Well, I just got a press release. A strange loop is closing. Oh, that sucks. Oh, that does suck. In fact, while well, you got that, my phone buzzed and told me, and I've turned off all notifications from all apps on my phone, so the fact that mm-hmm. one worked through really pisses me off, A, and B, you know what emergency notification got through to me, Keith? What, what's that? It's Andrew Lloyd Webber week on The Masked Singer on Fox. That somehow got yeah, through. which makes me mad that it got through, and also mad that that's where we are. Oh my! I mean, how did that strange even... loop is closing? But damn it, the, Andrew Lloyd Webber singers week. are gonna be singing the the banana will be crooning to cats. Oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> that's a memory. Uh, yeah, no, I'm gonna have to have to get get into the city and go see Strange Loop before yeah. it closes. Obviously. Let's go. Let's set a time. Let's set. A, let's have a date. I'd love that. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Very good. So, all right. What are we doing? Oh, Deep Space Nine. Yes. Yeah. So right. in the teaser. Morn, you can't, you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, buddy. You can't stay here. Morn is asleep on the promenade on a very comfy bench that we have never seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it makes sense. I mean, the promenade is sort of their, like, you know, town square, their main street. The, of course, they'd have some benches there. But he can't. Uh, it, so uh, Odo wakes him up. And he can't go to Quark's because there's a bunch of Ferengis doing a private game of Tongo with Dax. And Quark is naturally touching her without consent. So this is where a lot, hoof, it started. The Yes, I understand eventually we get to the point where we're, we're, we're pointing out that the Ferengi gender politics are less than... Uh, They're awful is what you're yeah, looking for? horrific. But dang, they start it right away. Like, we haven't really mentioned this before in the lore, at least in my experience. I mean, yeah, the Dabo girl thing, but that's they're, they're working girls. The, Have it, we not? Not really. Not really. Not to this extent. Oh, not on Deep Space Nine, I guess. But, but yeah, I, I tell mean. You, I, in my watching long, I just, I, I keep saying, I was like, ooh, this is problematic. Like, uh, uh, now, I'll get to when we get to the, the reveal, but it starts off, it's coming in hot. No, well, no, for sure. Well, we know from from next gen at least that Ferengi women aren't aware, aren't allowed to wear clothes. See, I didn't know that until they said it, and that's when I paused. I was like, "So you're telling me that this entire race of people mm-hmm. want their women? They can't learn, they can't read, and they're nude all the time." Why? That's right. <laughs> that is extreme. Well, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 pretty extreme. So, uh, uh, it. it 
in the show's defense, the show's not like, whew, wish it were like that here. No, like, it's I, not I on get the, that. Not I get the, that. The, my point, the my, side of that. I don't mean this. We're going to have this is going to be a talky episode, I can tell. But but that said, I mean, people got on the WWE pretty hard. That's a wrestling, a professional mm-hmm. wrestling league. As they should have. Because they went to Saudi Arabia to do all these things for money. And they made, you know, like Saudi Arabia has some has its own issues with the gender politics. And so... And we so we shouldn't be doing de- dealing with those people. And yet the Ferengi, it's much worse than that. But yet it's like, come on board, let's we're going to do business with you. Open a casino. I mean, yeah. well, and that's where and and that's where it gets interesting when you start talking about the Prime Directive, right? The Star Trek's whole thing of of non interference and non judgment. Uh, I, I think the, the I thought you were going to talk about the Attitude Era <laughs> for the WWE, oh, yeah, but whole, whole oh, oh my God, you watch some of that? Oh, just like. Ugh. Anyway, I I think the difference in in the defense of 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 our heroes in Starfleet is the WWE is putting up with that for commercial gain. Mm-hmm. As a where I don't think the Federation is trying to make money off of the Ferengis. It's fair. So, I I think that would be the difference. Uh but but yeah. No, that's there's a lot about the Ferengi culture which is pretty extreme. And uh, we are, we are going to get into it to some extent. Yeah, because um, I got as, more questions. Once we get to like the the budding rom com of it all, I, I still got some more questions about. Well, if what what is their mating practices? Do are they are they arranged marriages? How can you fall in love with people that are so subservient? Like, what is that whole thing? Well, I mean that I, that's been part of our human experience from the dawn of time too. So a very anyway. rom com episode of Deep Space Nine. Moving on. It is. All right. So anyway, Dax, of course, wins. And Rob says it's good because they're being, it, it's okay. Because they're being beaten by Curzon, the male, not the female Dax. Uh, but of course, Jadzia says, uh, she was a better, Jadzia is a better player than Curzon ever was. We are reminded, just like you said, of just how blazingly sexist the Ferengis are. Women are not allowed to wear clothes. They're not allowed to do anything. I wrote down, I wonder if gender or sex or gender is going to play a role in this episode. Yeah, really wonder. I also wonder if uh, the creators of Deep Space Nine went back in time and or went forward in time and sued Wicked's costume design because they basically stole it. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's, Look at uh, how beautiful that is. Like already in the teaser, it's just the close-ups, the costume design, the the makeup. It's so beautiful. And, if only uh, we yeah. get close-ups of ear hair later. I hope that we do get. A oh, I sure that. hope we do. I mean, I'd love a great ear hair shot. Yeah. yeah, especially if they're combing it. But you know. So Dax asks Quark if uh, subservient and helpless is how he'd like her to be, and naked, and naked. I think probably leaning on that most. Armin's performance of "I do, I really do." Seems, and maybe I'm curious how what your take on this is, because I wrote that it seems like uh, he was intentionally annoyed about the clunkily, clunky doubling down on the writing. So Armin was was annoyed and put a stank on that last I really do that said, I this is stupid, I shouldn't be saying it, so I'm going to say it weird. I don't know. It kind of rang a little true to me, to be honest. I think they were like, I think the stank was just putting some emphasis. I, I think, but it was too much. It was like, I do. I really do. It felt like 
screw you for making me say this. I, I like that take, but if I mean, I don't know if you're asking me for, as for real. I really feel like this whole episode. What I appreciated about it is that they knew it was going to be rom com They knew they were going to up the tone, the comedic tone, because it's a Ferengi episode. But that is, it's uniform and consistent through the whole episode, including Dax in the couple scenes she's in. So it didn't feel too much. I think maybe they asked him to bump it. I don't know. I, I yeah. I'm. I leave a leave a comment below. Like, go back and watch that. It's it's right in the teaser. Uh, was that Armin being sarcastically overdoing it, or the character of Quark that broad? Uh, I think it was Armin. Well, that, we should have him on the show someday and ask him. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we see Rom arguing with a new Ferengi waiter we haven't seen who has magic salty beans to sell to Quark. They make you drink more, like peanuts. Look at that shot. Have... Damn it. He loves the Ferengi. Uh, the waiter and Quark uh, are, are talking. Uh... Wow. What I wrote down, because I, I, I typed this. Root- no, 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 because I, I typed this really fast. So sometimes when I'm reading it back, I have to quickly translate what I meant when I wrote it because it's full of typos or whatever. And my the what I wrote was the waiter and Quark bone then, the gray Nagus calls. They boned later, not then. I think I meant to say bargain, <laughs> then the Nagus calls. The Ferengis are headed into the Gamma Quadrant and Quark will be the lead negotiator. So we are set to the task by the Grand Nagus, and that closes our teaser and brings us to the beginning of Act 1. Where we see in Sisko's office, the Nagus is there and offers Sisko and Kira some beetle snuff. That is clearly Sean Wall- Wallace Shawn's stash of weed. He sneezes and blows his nose in the most cartoonish fashion possible. What did you think of beetle snuff, Mike? I dug it. I the only time it kind of it upset me is when I said it quickly three times in a row. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, you were waiting for a Beetlejuice joke, right? Uh, I wasn't actually, but oh. I, I I like that you went there. I yeah, went there. I've actually been appreciating <laughs> how I've kind of gotten in tune with how you write these recaps, and I've been taking screenshots based on what I think your recap will be. We've speaking of mind melds, Keith. We've really started. Uh, too many hours doing this, yeah. buddy. So uh, Kira antagonizes Zek with pointing out Ferengi stereotypes for cheating everybody, which was which is interesting. Kira's like, "Screw you, Ferengis! I hate all of you," which was you know rough. Uh, but then he offers Bajor some fertilizer as a peace offering. He tries to cheat them. Uh, but then Cisco shuts it down. Well, Beetle, we, but, but, sorry to back up. Beetle snuff is yeah. just coke, right? Basically, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just made of beetles, I guess. Mm. Beetle coke. Beetle uh, coke. Look at that. That makeup design. That is really, really impressive. Keith, can I get real gross for a minute? Uh, no, I'm I, not going to do that. Hold on. Hold I hope on. you would. I'd be really. I'm really hoping you get gross. Okay. Imagine if you will. No, you know what? I can't say that on the internet. Uh, you know, what? with no, everything that you've said no. over all the years, all of the things no, you have said over the years, the clips I have lined up on my soundboard from other shows. I can't do it. Let's move forward. Wow. <laughs> well, patrons, uh, Mike's gonna have to say it on Patreon. dot com slash K and M and find out what disgusting thing Mike wanted to say. 
So we head back to Quark's quarters, and the Negus sets Quark to the task of acquiring tulaberries from the doci. Uh, but it's not about the berries. It's about getting a foothold in the Gamma Quadrant. Uh, I'm excited that we're actually going to go and acknowledge that the Gamma Quadrant exists, because mm -hmm. we did definitely forget that it was there. Uh, so this was this is good. Keith, how many tulaberries would it take, or how many pounds of whatever fertilizer would it take for you to make out with this this guy? Well, I don't know. What did he did he buy me dinner? I What's mean, he's going to uh... give you 150 million tons of like whatever, like beetle snuff poop or whatever he promised the Bajorans. Wow, it's uh, so hard to turn down beetle snuff poop. Anyway, uh, Quark is excited as he talks to Rum, and the waiter comes up. Her name, uh, their name, are Pell, uh, that we met earlier, and reminds him to be skeptical of too easy an opportunity. And oh, this they, was the ear combing. Sorry, to, I'm a little behind still. Ear comb. Keep up, Mike. Keep up. Ear comb. Ear comb. Uh, I mean, just like the the ways that they discover new gross things to do yeah. with the Ferengis every week. So fun. All right, here we are. Now I'm, I'm caught up. All right, there we go. So uh, Pell, of course, reminds Quark to be skeptical, to be careful, and they quote the rules of acquisition back and forth. Quark then gets nervous that he's going to be blamed and wants somebody to help. Rom, of course, wants to do it, but he shut, gets shut down and decides to take Pell. Then we follow Pell home and watch her them remove the giant lobes and put them in a box revealing smaller female lobes. In 90s TV, I guess this means they're female. Today, we don't really know much about their sex or gender, only that they wanted Quark to think that they were male. Uh, but 90s TV is like, oh, it's a woman. So, but we, you know, that obviously would not play out today. So what did you think here with the reveal? So, <laughs> I had so many thoughts. First of all, it needs to be said, I like to think I'm pretty progressive. I like to think I'm open-minded, an open-minded ally of all mm -hmm. shapes and sizes and identifications and what have you. This had me hook, line, and sinker, Keith. No idea. I didn't, all of the big gender politic up front did not, nothing prepared me I fully was a sucker for the reveal. I was like, oh! <laughs> now it makes sense. Uh, so it doesn't mean you're not progressive. It just means you're a dummy. Uh, so kudos to the, the writers of for the general demo back in '93 because they got they got me, they got me, which then uh, raised a whole bunch of questions as to what. Uh, I guess it made sense at that point. You know, obviously. She, they, uh, didn't know. Well, I mean, they do. They do say that she does identify as a female throughout the episode. Yeah, so. We we do later. She will identify yes. as female. And like, it oh. seems like they're giving us like the impression that she's uh, binding her breast slightly in the in the in the uniform as well. Like, mm -hmm. regardless, it, it made a lot of sense, right? Because and 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 actually, the plotting is really well done. The pacing is really well done, in my opinion. Because at this point. I'm still wondering because she's Ferengi, so what is her she's clearly got a business motivation. And I'm trying to think, right. okay, what's the what's the screw here? So it's interesting where it goes. 
Uh, yeah, that's 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 what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, oh, awesome! They were really heavy up front about the we we are uh, oppressive to women, and now here's a woman who's equally Quark's match, if not superior in 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 her aggressive business bargaining acumen. and business acumen. So that's where I am. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Um, and at this point, we'd never seen a Ferengi female before. Yeah. So we didn't know that smaller that females Ferengis have smaller lobes or whatever. We're just My like, first okay, thought yeah. when she took the ears off was like she's not even Ferengi. I thought there was like a helmet thing coming off next, and that it was like a an total imposter. But oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, we begin. Oh, and I was going to say you mentioned the pacing of the episode. Uh, having the reveal be at the end of Act One is great Mm -hmm. because normally that's like an end of act two or end of act three reveal. Whereas this, like we have a lot more story to get through. So you're not just sort of dragging that out slowly. Might as well just get it revealed. So in act two, we meet the ghost side. Everybody get in. Just get in everyone. Yeah. Which is remarkable because, uh, because Tiny Ron and Wallace Sean are very different heights. So I think that's why, that's why we had to have such a low angle shot. Because you'd never get them both in the same yeah. shot unless you were like, put the camera basically on the floor. And Keith, riddle me this. Mm-hmm. The outfit that Quark is wearing, is that the one I saw on the Quark action figure? Damn, that's good, Mike. Yes. Yes, it is. Well played, I, which he also wore in the pilot. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, those Ferengi outfits are just extraordinary. Anyway, so uh, we meet the Dosai, who Quark is set to negotiate with. They look utterly ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They negotiate. They're big and angry, but Pell rescues the discussion. Did you watch X-Files? Uh, off and on, yeah. I wasn't a, a, a weekly watcher, but I watched a lot of it. So he was like the, the big alien baddie. Yes, this I know. They kind uh, of give right. me like you know what they reminded me of was him specifically because his like weird his very oval head is the uh, the foot from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I just got I have the design of all of the like like random baddies were called the foot the foot soldiers. So then we go to Ops and Mayherdu brings Kira an earring from Zek, which gives us a chance to hear Kira and Dax discussing the Ferengi. Kira calls them greedy, misogynistic, untrustworthy little trolls. Dax is like, yup. But then says, once you accept that, they can be a lot of fun. Which is an interesting lesson on acceptance. And also, I think, a direct statement (laughs) to the audience about getting on board with Ferengi episodes. Mm. Um, From Myra Stephen Bear, trying to... uh, Add a little nuance to the ridiculousness that is Ferengi, and it, but Dax has a very Federation way of approaching it. Like you know, they are all of those shitty things, right? But it's all about you know, it's all about acceptance and difference and meeting people where they are, and it's an interesting, interesting conversation that I think that there's a really good argument on both sides of. Yeah, right? but and, and what I why I like Dax being the person to have have that viewpoint is because Dax has what most of us don't have, right? Which is scale, right? The the bird's yeah. eye view of time. And so, you know, any sort of affront taken in a in a zoomed in kind of macro time view is much more you know, we I talk about this often when I talk about people getting married, 
or long-term mm. relationships where the type of fights you have in the moment when you're dating someone look different when viewed from the lens of we want to be together for decades. So, right. you know, that's kind of her her vantage point here, and I appreciate it. Well, and, and Dax has another layer of of interesting point of view there because the Dax symbiont has been multiple different genders. Mm -hmm. So you both have time and gender fluctuations there. Now, of course, you zoom out into the macroverse like it's written by a dude, right? And so who does not have all of those experiences? Um, but I think it's 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 very interesting. And I I I don't know necessarily where I come down on you know, being friends, you know, like, you know, can you be friends with somebody that misogynistic and not carry some of that, you know, do you try to change from within? Do you try to change from without? I mean, I think we all negotiate these things, not even just on like the big isms, but just like within a, within a family or within a whatever, like, and I appreciate I that. I appreciate they don't, they don't come down particularly on one side of that because look, yeah. you know, I think you and I generally wear our politics on our sleeves. You specifically do often, and and that doesn't mean that you can't have political issue disagreements with people and not you know be be pl totally pleasant or friendly. But can you be lifelong? like soulmate type friends I, I don't know that that's possible because well and there and there there's a line somewhere right and i think that we're all living in a world where we're trying to navigate where that line is i mean do you want to be best friends with somebody who's in the clan right at what point are you are you allowing that person's hatred to not be challenged at what point are hopefully by showing an example of how not be that way you might influence some change what what is the way to affect change what is i don't know because it's different for everybody different for every situation um it's interesting that's why anyway. we talked about this before but that's why science fiction is great in many ways because it allows you to just take in many ways just take an issue or take a a question like that a philosophical question like that yeah and instead of giving you an answer or or forcing a viewpoint on you which a lot of television does a lot of media does obviously but if you just reframe it through the science fiction lens, so you're just looking at the same question through different chess pieces, it often gives more. It gives you pause to think. And at the end of the day, I think any of these, I think we could all agree on this. If more people would actually stop and think about their viewpoints and their biases objectively, I think that we'd have a lot more clear conversation. And and be willing to examine things from another point of view. Yeah. From another perspective. And I think that, that is kind of essential to our growth as humanity is to continue taking continue taking in new information. Uh anyway, blah blah blah, politics, politics. Uh later, Dax and Zek and all play more Tongo. Quark is nervous about the negotiations. Zek ups the stakes. I don't need 5,000, I need 50,000 barrels of whatever. Quark is scared, but Pell is excited. Pell pulls Quark aside. Quark doesn't know why Pell is being so nice to him. Dax clearly picks up on a vibe between them. Uh, so the next morning, Dax sits down with Pell. 
to investigate uh, what the deal is. They discuss Quark for a bit. Then we hit a big moment in Trek history. Uh, I, I'm curious to see what you what how <clears throat> what you picked up on this. Uh, but Dax gets Pell to admit that they love Quark. Dax is not phased by this at all and asks if Quark knows. Pell says he doesn't even know I'm female. Then Dax is surprised. It's subtle, but Dax's lack of reaction to what she thought was a same-sex attraction was radical at the time. And certainly not necessarily welcome from the homophobic producers, usually attributed to Rick Berman, although I don't know that uh, for sure. Uh, but this, but this was like a a big moment in Trek history and '90s Trek history because it's done subtly. It's done just in the subtext and in performance. But we're establishing here that in the future. At least Dax couldn't give a crap about whether about about the same sex relationship, which we don't today, right? Who cares? But mm -hmm. in 1993, that was like a. I absolutely clocked that, and I think that you would hope, you would hope that when we, in the future, things like that would be would be more, uh, not a big deal. I, I can't. I couldn't right. think of a better way to phrase that. But it's only super. But it's superseded by a moment later. I think. Interesting. Like this okay. was the. I thought that there was a moment later that was more nuanced. Well, I don't know. Nuanced is the word, but uh, more layered in. It was that sort of a doubling down on yep. that idea, and I appreciate it for sure. And and I, you know, I, I clocked it then, and I, you know, I was already an ally in in 1993 due to my my grandparents were were activists and so I was like <laughs> I was out as an ally <laughs> then um but it was a big deal and it was um yeah it's it's today it seems so it seems like such a nothing burger but it really was a big deal then so uh we'll continue talking about it as we go on we learn that Pell is indeed a woman and is dressing as a man so she can work and acquire profit in the sexist Ferengi economy. But then she fell in love with Quark. Because, uh, you know, how could you not, right? That's the thing that kind of, I didn't really see that spark, but I guess sometimes you don't. Um, but you, when you really, if you really think in on this, because she starts, she talks a little bit about her upbringing, like it seems almost, it, it sounds like within, within the Ferengi culture, and the way they sort of run their society, her circumstance here is an almost is a near impossibility. I mean, sh how do you how, if you're not even taught to read, you and then you ha and and if you want to learn to read and then acquire profit and get off planet and do all the things she's done, clearly you can't let anybody know about it unless she was came from a very a family that was sort of. Uh, shelter like secretly allowed super progressive yeah, yeah and helping her achieve those things it's it's a really difficult road she chose um yeah. and also well, very surprising that she's able to find that affection for someone in a male of that species who's treated her such a way well yes um i mean for for sure and obviously you know we're there are lots of parallel cultures uh existing right here 100 percent 100% like that 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 is a 
that in in various cultures it is every bit that hard to accomplish that and and every bit that much of an accomplishment um as it is for pell here but i think um one of the things that we're going to continue developing about the character of quark right quark by our standards is this oafish lunatic right but by ferengi standards quark is actually pretty progressive yeah um and so you know again it's all about all about perspective you know within the ferengi culture quark is much more accepting and much more open-minded and i can understand why that would be appealing to pell even if by our standards quark is an absolute jackass right um anyway so uh quark arrives it's time to keep negotiating and we head into act three kira goes up to zek to return the earring Alas, his hopes for a wild a night of wild passion and romance are dashed. But he does have a wildly intricate costume, which you can see in that screenshot there. Look at that. Yeah, pretty awesome. So cool. Um, Quark arrives with Pell. The negotiations have failed. Zek is furious. Pell interrupts the shouting and says they're still going to make a deal. So they decide... Oh, yeah, and the... Um, They've gone back through the wormhole. They've pieced out after failed negotiations. But Pell and Quark decide to borrow Zek's ship and go into the Gamma Quadrant to track them down. We see the Ferengi shuttle. It's somewhere between silly and cool looking. Yeah. Uh, but we see those globes from Next Generation from the battle. Uh, season one, one of the more watchable season one episodes, um, even if the Ferengis are ridiculous. Um. Anyway, Pell and Quark discuss if Zek might be intentionally sabotaging negotiations, but agree uh, that Zek definitely knows more than he's saying. So, and, and if it wasn't clear before, everyone's seen this episode, but Zek is is continually asking them for more and impossible things in the in the negotiations, but we don't know why. So we go back to this. Uh, oh, right, uh, the vibes increase. It's definitely written to be that Quark really appreciates the friendship, but I think Armin Shimmerman is playing actual attraction to the male version of Pell. That's the vibe I got. Uh, because, like, at this point, Quark does not know that Pell is female. Mm -hmm. And in Armin's performance, like, everything there is genuine. Like, I, they absolutely could make out, and I would totally buy it. Well, and, and I think that it's a, a beautiful sort of what I would hope for my space operas that like it's, it's non-gendered. I think, I think they both play the attraction very pure and, and I wish I knew the terminology better, but just very sort of not about gender in any way. They really just kind of care about each other, which explains why her attraction was so fast. And, yeah. and he just enjoys someone who understands him has the same, same, uh, it's very poly if you will. Yeah, totally. And like, yeah. and why, and, and why couldn't it be that way? So uh, we head back to the station and we see Paglids in the background as Rom tells Odo how envious he is of Pell. Odo says he'd never let someone come between him and his brother, uh, which is a it's a weird scene. I understand you want to get Odo in there, but like, why is Odo throwing fire? On that? I mean, if you want to get fanficy, maybe Odo doesn't like his his sort of hundred percent. Yep, that's it. Of course, because Odo and Quark are the love story of yeah. 
the series. And he's like, he sees someone edging in on it, and he's like, hell no. Yeah, 100%. That's canon in my brain now. Nailed I it. love that. <laughs> Rom immediately goes and ransacks Pell's quarters looking for dirt. Naturally, he discovers a pair of fake loaves, which I thought was interesting because uh, it's a good thing Pell has multiples. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, this whole thing would be moot. Also, like, thanks for being discreet, Rom. He just, like, trashes the place. I, Rom, early, also, early. once again, dear Odo, do we not <laughs> lock the doors? Do we not have any security? What's up? Well, look, Rom Rom has has some technical skills we haven't explored yet. Okay. But yes, we don't even bother to explain how he or got Or maybe into Odo was like, "Here's Oh, oops, I found a key. I wonder what this leads oh, to." Oh, yeah, maybe maybe Odo. Ah, here we go. Let's let's continue the conspiracy theory. I think Odo had already ransacked Pal's quarters and already oh. knew. He's the like, "Whatever secret. you do, don't go into that third closet." Exactly. Don't go into the box under the bed. There's nothing there you want to see. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. So in Act 4, we go to the Doci planet that looks uh, like a pretty iffy matte painting. But it turns out it's a profi, pro, a party profit planet. It's violent and wild-ish by 90 Star Trek standards. Someone is killed right in front of them, which was like, oh, shit, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then Quark runs into the guy he negotiated with. He tries to get him to sign a new contract. Quark is persistent and breaks their water cooler. (laughs) For some reason. And apparently that works. Mm -hmm. He makes progress and they stay for the night. Um, that's such an odd move by Quark. Listen to me. But gling, gling, gling. I mean, I guess they're, they're treating the doci a little bit like Klingons. Where you know you earn their respect by doing wild and aggressive things, um, but okay, sure, all right, Keith. But you know what we've been missing this whole time? If we're gonna go rom com, which this whole episode yeah. has been in my case, we need that weird bedroom scene. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. So they decide to stay for the night, and of course, there's only one bed. Pell panics, but Quark wants to go to bed, and she stalls with wine and flattery. Then they're a hundred percent about to make out. Pell kisses Quark and he lies back and Quark responds to that by lying back on the bed, because Quark is a hundred percent on board. Yeah, I mean he doesn't there's not a lot of inhibition here if you want to look at it that which I yeah. think is great. A hundred percent. I love it. Like I yeah, there's It could have easily become a ooh, uh, like a very uncomfortable homophobic response right. comedically played, which I think doubles down on uncomfortability, but it is not that at all, which was like my most surprised moment because I just I just saw it going there. <laughs> well, and yeah, no for sure. And I I wonder. And again, be, because of all the the tales of behind the scenes with allegedly Berman's uncomfortability with with anything with that um i i wonder if that's armin's choice if if he's like you know because there are plenty of allies on this i, I bet armin was like in the stage directness he he's freaked out and he's like that's not how i'm gonna play well, it. there are three questions i have well not three there's a question i have no there are no questions here here are my hopes and wishes one I, if we could see a script i would like to see if there are stage directions and how it is played like mm. okay that's a b 
absolutely imagine Armin had some thoughts. C, it takes two to tango. I guarantee you they captured many a take on this scene, right? So I'm sure there was a, a variety of decisions. So at some point it came down to the director and the editor in that edit booth and they made some choices. And and so I you know and then those got had to get greenlit through the network. So there was some. I wonder if there was some conversations, some kickback, because clearly this was there was conversation around this scene. Oh yeah, no, it had it had to be. Uh, okay, hold on, I have the script. All right, we're going in on it, folks. All right. So while you were doing that, so we're what are we in? We're in Act Four, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, come on, we can do this. Um, we're going to find it. This is great to do live. Mike Toff for a second. Oh, here sure. we go. Okay. Uh, oh, no, here we, here we go. Here we go. He lies down in the bed. Nervous Pell looks to stall. She gets wine. There's wine there. Let's go to bed. She pours him another glass. It's a very nice smile. Suddenly, Pell lunges forward and kisses Quark on the lips, who reels back in shock. But before Pell can explain, yeah. So it says he he reels back in shock. I don't think that's what we played. Yes, or it, or I agree. at least at least there was there was shock, but not revulsion. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I like that. I would okay. if if I if I was to retro write the script based on what I watched on screen, mm-hmm. my stage direction would have said she lunges forward, kisses him on the lips. Quark reacts with surprise. Hmm. I would say surprise instead of shock, which is a very distinct difference. Yeah, yeah. When it comes to intention, surprise, but leans back. Uh, he does not get off the bed. He does not leap to his feet. He just leans back. And the beat that's played next, where the dosai right. comes in, is not like a. There's no disgust. There's no uncomfortability. I think he's just willing to accept what happened. He wants to. He puts it on the back burner to yeah. think about later. And it's like we have to because what's what's cool about. This and the subsequent beats in the show is yeah. that regardless of the intention, the this, the that, any of the romantic stuff, regardless of it, it is always secondary to their their prime directive, which is the profit, the negotiation, which right. is like what a subplot trying- of the whole thing. But here, clearly we see the priorities jump. No, and let's talk about the, the next moment here because the docile lady arrives and catches them, um, who is also not in any way bothered or surprised – by a same-sex makeout session. Well, yeah, and, I mean, you saw that party we just came from. That was basically an eyes wide shut scenario. Yeah, like who cares? Yeah, you know. But again, the 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 tolerance and lack of horror is was radical at the time, and and I I, I think that it was important and great. Um, you know, there's some problematic parts of this, but that part of it. I really appreciate that they were able to sneak into 90s television past Berman. You know what? I think, and I'll get to this in in our wrap-up, but I think it's still radical, Keith, because mm. if you look at the way a lot of these types of modern relationships and modern issues are being handled in media today, a lot of times I feel it feels heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. It feels forced. It feels overly done in order to make a point instead of – I think the most it, – it's appreciated, obviously. Representation is appreciated in all ways, forms, regardless of how it is. But I think that 
if we when we get to the point that it is uh less radical and more just like meh, yeah meh, well, just is what it is i think that's when we get we've reached the point of saturation where it's like okay now we've we're getting somewhere yeah where it's, it it's not like about here. that no yeah. and and no for sure and i think this is a, a point where uh, i think where we are geographically you know yes. we're a we're in the states right and B, where we are geographically, we're in a part of the country where we're we're mostly there, mm -hmm. but that is not true of much of our country today. So this is still radical in some parts of the parts of the country and with some people. Um, it is only within our the privilege of our circle and our life where I, I don't even notice it anymore. Um, anyway, great. I, I I like that very much. So the docile lady tells them that they don't have as much tulaberry as Zek is wanting, but will be willing to put them in touch with the right people who have that much for a price. She talks about the Karama. They are the ones who have it. They are an important power in the Dominion. So later on the shuttle, Quark and Pal are very excited. They figured out the whole thing. This whole thing is about meeting with the Dominion, and Quark's plan is to ignore the kiss. Poor Pell is sad. Uh, and you feel for it. They arrive back on the station, and Quark tells Zek he found the Dominion. Zek says he's only heard whispers and rumors, but uh, that whomever finds the secret of the Dominion finds the secret to the Gamma Quadrant. So that's what this whole thing has been about. That's a, such a great lighting in that shot. There. I was going to say, the lighting in this whole sequence is just exquisite. So good. Uh, Look at those two shots. Like, bang, bang. The it, framing, well, framing, like, the, this is this is, could just be an, a general OT, OTS, but it's mm -hmm. but it's better than that. It's, like, framed like a, well, you would frame a still shot. Really good. Yeah, but it's also, I think, Deep Space Nine affords you uh, the ability to have more variety in your lighting because uh, next gen is so lit. It's mm -hmm. it's almost overlit. But on Deep Space Nine, it gets darker. There's, there's, there's shadows and little dark corners all over the station. And I think that that's a just gives them the opportunity to do much more interesting stuff. So, uh, yeah, so we find out what the whole plan was. It's about finding the Dominion. Meanwhile, Rom is trying to interrupt them to out Pell. And in exchange for a percentage of all the commerce in the Gamma Quadrant, Quark gives Zek the name of the Karama. Then, in was probably the more problematic scenes, uh, in pantomime in the background, which I did like. I, I love that it was in pantomime in the background. Uh, we see Quark getting told about Pell's secret, <laughs> and he passes out in a ridiculous farce. Okay, but what I take from it, because once again, I think tonally, for the most part, it was consistent throughout. So this wasn't as farcical as as it was just kind of in line. I mean, it, yes, but that all said, what I'm taking is it is in Quark's priorities, it is more radical to have been outsmarted by a female than it is to be gay or to have a, a same-sex mm. tryst. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that is the message there. That I think that's 
It's interesting. Which um, begs the question, how are any babies made on on Ferengi? <laughs> well. Is that the name of the planet, Ferengi? Ferenginar. Ferenginar, okay. Is the, uh, but, but Hashtag I don't think Mike learned. Mike learned a new thing. We haven't been there yet, but we will be. So in Act 5, Quark wakes up in the infirmary. He's fine, but at least we got Alexander Siddig a line. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. Quark, I was like, what on the episode, buddy? Yeah. Uh, Quark says they need to keep the secret because he'll be ruined. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. He'll be ruined, ruined, ruined if Zek finds out. He makes a deal. This is big to transfer the bar to Rom if he doesn't tell Zek, which of course is fine because if Quark gets a percentage of all the deals done in the entire quadrant, he's going to be rolling in it. Quark then goes to meet Pell in her quarters, now out of the disguise. Quark wants her to get dressed back as a man. This was the one where I was like, wait a second, what? I didn't find you, I don't find you as attractive this way. Uh, <laughs> it was weird, right? It was very uh, it was very Mrs. Doubtfire, but they were like, you dad, you gotta put the you gotta put the suit on. Well, I mean, from from Quark's standpoint, he has to keep the ruse going up to save his profits. So you get it. Um, what I thought was amazing was that she's able to transfer in about 10 seconds mm-hmm. with all of the prosthetics, that kind of stuff. So they, she walks out of the room, they cut for two hours and they come back and they continue because that makeup takes forever. Um, anyway, so he gives her latinum and tells her to leave. They realize that despite their love, Quark can't accept her living with him in a too non-traditional way, uh, where he's sort of trapped in his conservative culture. He can't accept her the way that she is, which is tragic for both of them. And we see a uh, remarkable shot. This this shot here, you, we're, we, we see Quark in the foreground. And I thought... I mean, you can see that Quark is also heartbroken. And I thought this was a fantastic performance Mm -hmm. by Armin Shimmerman here. Um, Showing us, the camera, vulnerability, but hiding it from her. Um, And it was such a real moment. Well, and it was emphasized, I thought, by the not big, not non-homophobic approach to the previous scene, where it was like that that just shows that whatever connection they had superseded it and that it wasn't about their connection it's about he can't be with he can't be the 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 feet the ferengi culture will not allow this him to be well, with a, such a progressive woman which is it, that's the tragedy yeah and it's and it's tragic and also i think it doubles down his real emotion in this scene doubles down on the fact that he was in love with pell while he thought well Quark thought that Pell was male because he didn't fall in love with her in the split second he found out that she was fe- he was already in love with Pell by the time he found out otherwise he would not be having these feelings he would not be mm-hmm. he would not be heartbroken and I once again I thought it was paced well they gave enough little tidbits of them connecting over the rules of acquisition, connecting over her ability to help her supporting him in moments yeah. where he was feeling weak. I thought they really, you know, in 45 minutes, there's only so much you can do. And I thought yeah, they I know. really placed enough of those beats. They built a real relationship in there, which I thought was was very interesting. Um, yeah, and it's funny, like I've seen this episode, I don't know, five, six times. 
But this is the talking it through with you here is where it really becomes clear to me that he was in love. Mm-hmm. He was in love with Pell as a man. Um, and I don't think I'd really clocked it quite so well. Um, and it belies everything. I mean, we'll talk about it once again. Uh, you, they set it up. It's going to be a, a jokey joke type episode. It's Ferengi. It's going to be silly. It's going to be this. And then they like pull the wool and they're like, oh, this is like an actually pretty powerful episode on many yeah. levels. Yeah. Yeah. And just bringing, <laughs> I was going to say humanity to the Ferengi, which is a, which I guess is a speciesist way to handle it, but they're not real. So, uh, but yeah. So uh, later, Rom eats a giant beetle, which I bet was a soft shelled crab. I don't know that I didn't give any thought to. That was that was that, well. I mean, because I, I always, whenever I watch them eat weird food, mm-hmm. I try to figure out like where was the. At least he was really eating it because I've seen too many times on too many shows people mm-hmm. miming food and it makes the cut. So I hate. That. It's just like how do they? You know, when do they switch from regular worms to gummy worms? When mm-hmm. do they switch from whatever to whatever? But that was all in camera, so that had to be a real thing that he was chewing on, which is why I think it was a soft shelled crab. Anyway. Uh, Meanwhile, Quark is eating green goo with the back of a spoon, which is odd. <laughs> he has the spoon backwards, and uh, Zek is eating with chopsticks. So it's a very diverse food and uh, utensils. Then Pell shows up, surprise, dressed as a man. She reveals, and then she reveals herself to be female. Zek is furious, and he threatens to throw her in prison. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, interesting that she she decided to like fight for herself here, and I liked it. Uh, Quark ends up it's defending actually, her. I think it's double, it's double uh, awesome because clearly, because of the potential uh, ramifications for Quark, yeah. she chooses the, her exposing the hypocrisy of the male dominant society. Over her affection for Clark, which I think is Clark. Who the hell's Clark? Clark. Qu- <laughs> Clark Griswold. Quark. Because, Keith, I think that is, like, exactly the message we want, right? It's not – right because it could easily be like, the oh, I fell in love and so it's that – It's not a love story. No. She, she does not subjugate herself to yes. anything, including her love story with Quark. I think that is this – is this is the scene of the show that's, like – tripling down which i just really really thought was cool because they could have easily done it the other way where she could have just like snuck off and uh you know let in order to save quark from the humiliation or whatever but she doesn't do that yeah yeah uh and puts quark in a position where he ends up having to defend her and of course zex says uh stupidity and lose all his is, profits he lost it lose all. all of his profits uh stupidity is no excuse and loses all the profits but they together Zek and Quark decide to keep it a secret because uh, Quark's like, well, if I got fooled, you got fooled too. Um, but Zek takes all of his money. So once again, last time uh, Zek was here, he made Quark the Nagus, took it away. Mm-hmm. This time he's going to make him a trillionaire, took it away. Um, so we have the final scene. We see Quark and Pell share a final kiss as she heads for the transport. And then, uh, lastly, Dax is comforting Quark, who is clearly heartbroken. Keith, your summary forgets the best part of the whole thing. What is the best part of the whole thing? Not only does she expose herself, expose herself sounds right, uh, reveal herself to the Nagus and for the, but also at the very end of it all, you know what she says to Quark? She's like, yeah, it's been nice, but I'm taking those 10 bars of Latinum anyway. 
Yeah, damn right, because she's a businesswoman. Yeah, so like she gets the upper hand on everything this episode. Totally screws all the guys. She's doesn't like whereas Clark is Clark. <laughs> it's been a long day, Mike. It's been a long day. Where Quark is pretty pretty heartbroken, right? It's it's clear. She's like, it's been great. I'm taking that cash. I made my points. Peace. Well, I mean, I I, I do think all of her feelings were real. Absolutely, I think she really but did. My feel point it. is that she's she can be both emotionally right. tied and very business shrewd, and not let yeah. her feelings. She's still a Ferengi. Yeah, it's awesome. It's just and awesome. I think her character arc is so cool. Yeah, I think I think it was it was very very well done. Okay, well then there, uh, that's it. You know what it's time for, Mike? Oh, I do. Yeah, get ready. And now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. I don't know why I use your full name, but anyway. So uh, your first word is tulaberries. Oh, tulaberries. Well, that is uh, very much like a uh, it's it's a, a fauna. It's the fruit of a fauna of a place that is being used in uh, Ferengi negotiations here as sort of a MacGuffin to get Quark and Pell together. And uh, what do you do with tulaberries? You, uh, you know, you, you you paint your face. You turn them into wine. Yeah, but you might, tulaberry you wine. You might also paint your face. They didn't have painted faces. All right, so this next one's a big one, and, and uh, I'm curious to see what your answer is. Mike, what is the Dominion? So the Dominion, Keith, really interesting. I thought at first that it was a, a, a species of people, but it's not. It's a collective of species or something sort of that exists in the different quadrant that is very shrouded in mystery, but apparently there's some great bargains to be had there. So, you know, for all I know, it could be a, a, an outlet store. But we know that <laughs> we definitely want to get there is what we know. Folks, here it is. The Dominion, an outlet store. Yeah, you want cheap Nikes? You can get them <laughs> at the Dominion. <laughs> they're last seasons, but they're really cheap. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Let's come along home. Oh, that's it? All right. Here we are in Quarks. There's the heartbroken man himself behind us. So, uh, so Mike, were there any wormholes in this plot? So the only thing that I found a little blurry for me was, like, how much agency or how much, how shrewd is the Nagus, right? It seems mm. like he wasn't, he was... And sabotaging negotiations, of course, Pell and Quark put that together. But his his sort of plot, his motivation through from the beginning doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. He seems a little surprised when the whole idea of the Dominion and the what's the other plate like what who's what's the species that's our portal to the Dominion? Uh the Karma. The Karma. He seems kind of shocked that it that, that even came up. So I don't know if that's he's shocked that it worked. Or he's shocked that Quark. I just don't quite see what his whole agenda was from the get. That's my I, biggest blurry bit. Yeah, I I think his motivation was he did know about the Dominion. 
because you said it was like I'd heard about it in whispers and shadows, but I know it's the the secret to that is a secret to the quadrant and and all of that. I think the question is why wouldn't two two questions? Why wouldn't he search himself? I think the you know the reason there is to protect himself to stay you know to stay in the shadows, and two, uh, why wouldn't he tell Quark what the plan was? Yeah, right. Um, what, what, what did his what, ignorance? What did he have to gain by his ignorance? I I think it was believability from the standpoint of the Dosi to think that Quark wasn't searching for the Dominion. I, I I think the idea is like you don't want the Dominion to know that you're searching for them or something like that. So if and you send somebody, potentially, I guess you could. If the longer you can keep Quark in the dark, if somehow you can potentially gain access to the Dominion without alerting Quark to its riches, totally. Yeah, and you don't have to share the profit. Yeah, so I I think those are probably what Zek's motivations are, but it it is a little murky. I'll give you that. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a lot of particular holes. I think um, you you plugged the hole explaining what Odo's motivations were for stirring that pot. Um, that then made sense to me. Um, the only other wormhole, and it's more just like a story untold. The story I'd like to hear is I want to see. Pell's origin story. Yeah. What did she have to go through to get to where she's at? Because she's she's not just like, I learned to read. She's incredibly shrewd and incredibly intelligent. So No, she kicks everybody's ass. Well, I I, I bet you, I bet you there is a, uh, a beta canon novel or something that tells that story. There is so much beta canon in Star Trek, you wouldn't believe. All right. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of wormholes. Mike, what was your best moment? Oh, there's so many good moments. I think, well, I, 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 sang, I sang the praises of the scene in the, in the bedroom with Quark and in the ship afterwards. Or no, uh, yes, in the bedroom with Quark. No, in the ship afterwards, after the, the shuttle, kiss scene. Yeah. yeah, where she's like, we should talk about it. And he's like, no, nah, we don't need to talk about it. That Even that didn't come from a place of, homophobia i guess that's the closest we came to it where he's like i don't even want to talk about it uh but it but i think he played it enough that it it seemed like he didn't want to talk about it because let's just focus on the mission at hand right i think armin like you said did everything in his power to shade his performance away from those moments that could be construed as homophobia for me though i'm going to go to i'm going to choose the scene kind of combo combo scene where she both reveals herself because it shows that I'm not going to be the damsel in distress that's mm-hmm. and and then also takes the cash because Ferengi's going to Ferengi. So those Ferengi's are my two Ferengi. conjoined. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think I'm I'm torn. So I'm going to I'm going to do two as well because uh because you know, we it's write our own show. rules here. It's a yeah. it's a Ferengi episode. We can do whatever yeah. we want. Uh one is the first moment where Dax is not shocked by them being in love, right? Just in terms of the placement in history, the placement in time, and the importance of that moment, and what that meant in this world. Um, the subtlety of it, the performance of it, it was just important. And I think, I think great. Um, and my second one is going to be Armin's performance in their last scene, where he has to tell her we can't be in love, despite clearly being in love. I think, mm-hmm. um, go, back, go back and watch just that last scene, and watch Armin's face. He does... Such a good job acting under all of that craziness. Um, such depth of emotion that we'd never see from Quark. 
such vulnerability that we never see from Quark. I thought it was just extraordinary. So, uh, yeah, really liked that scene. So, Mike, what do you say we hand out some self-sealing stem bolts? So this is fun for me because the past few weeks, if I recall, I was pretty high on the episodes after I watched them, and then once we sort of put them through our paces, eh, they, it, the luster wore off a little bit. And mm -hmm. I'm feeling pretty strongly the opposite way this time. I liked this episode yesterday when I watched yeah. it. But talking through it, I've come to really respect it a little bit more than I did. Uh, first things first, I think that on the whole, at every turn, they learned a lot of lessons this week from other episodes where we think there's not a lot of there there or that it, it, everything they did belied the expectation and some of the standards they set. From the, from the onset, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be jokey joke. It's going to be... Uh, silly but they were able to 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 take the the edge off the silly by keeping it tonally consistent throughout so it's a heightened it's a heightened reality a heightened tone throughout the whole episode so nothing feels particularly garish comedically or over the top or but because they had dax kind of fall in line with that with her performance and we barely see anybody else it felt cohesive for the show as well a b it is absolutely stunning to look at. This is just an absolutely stunning episode to watch, uh, visually, direction-wise, costume. It won an Emmy, for, the, for, for Christ's sake. As we had an issue episode, what was it, two weeks ago, last week? Uh, oh, yeah, Melora, yeah. Yeah, which at the, end of the, at, the, at the end of going through those paces, we were like, but it didn't really, like advance the issue or discuss the actual issue at hand at all really right as much as we thought this episode does in spades i think it raises a lot of cool questions i think it it is radically progressive for the time in spite of itself it appears from all i'm hearing yeah. from you yeah. which is even more amazing and what's really unique is that with some you know we get there are there are bones to pick but on the whole that sort of progressive lens holds up in 2022 for a show that came out in 1993 for the most part. I mean, it, it's a, as effective today as it probably, it, it's still, it's I think still, so. yeah. yeah. And that is so amazing. And that is because of the writing, because of some decisions and clearly hard conversations that took place, some courage on the, on the production side. And, and an amazing performance by by both Armin and I'm sorry, wanna what's Pell's actress name? Uh it is Helene Udi. So I think they both give a really compassionate performance, which they probably could have been very more they could have been huge, but they didn't do that in any way. And I really just appreciate and respect it for that. So I have to go pretty high here. I'm gonna go ninety self-sealing stem bolts i'm going high i really liked it yeah interesting yeah i mean i think um i you know i said it in the beginning that this is a sneakily important episode of deep space nine where uh it's a ferengi episode how could it really be important it's sort of a, a you know comedic lighter tone how could it be that important but it's it's 
tremendously important in in a couple of different ways. Um, obviously, w- with all of the, the 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 gender and sex questions here, um, you know, there's so much more to be mined. There's so much more that they could have done, but considering what they did, as opposed to making it the um, making the, the the homosexual angle of it in the foreground because they kind of couldn't at mm-hmm. this point they did it they backgrounded it and instead of um making it an issue of the week what they did is they put in radical and at the time subversive tolerance and they told the story through the lack of uh discomfort or lack of intolerance and lack of whatever from all the other characters from all in the show and that their lack of homophobia was subversive at the time mm. and i think very important um and uh and great and that's what makes star trek fantastic i mean you go back to the original the original trek right we 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 watched an episode of the original series and we see a diverse bunch of folks on the bridge and they're doing their Star Trek stuff. We didn't even think about it. But back then, that was crazy subversive to have a black woman running communications, to have an Asian man, have a a, 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 a Japanese man on the, you know, running the thing. Well, or, or American, that is. That was a huge thing, right? And then... Uh, you know, at at the time, and and Star Trek not making a thing out of it, them not like, okay, well, let's all address this. Like, look at us, look look what we're doing. Whatever, they didn't do any of that. They just we're living in a world that doesn't give a shit about that. That's not paying any attention to that. That doesn't matter. And that is the subversive tolerance of Star Trek going way back then, and then and then to today. I think it is incredibly. Uh, incredibly important um so i really liked that and you know the so the, to, just to add a little yeah. context to that um you'll because it, it goes far beyond just the show so you'll recall in when uh ellen came out and that was also that was abc so mm-hmm. on abc ellen came out on her show and it was a huge deal it was a huge deal in media but the network recognized it was a huge deal and so it promoted it as such and that was in 1997. So that's five right. years later or four years right. later. So here it seems like the network didn't push this as like a a, a gender or a homosexual storyline or push it in any sort of way. It just was another episode of Deep Space Nine on TV in 1993. Right. And again, they didn't put their thumb and, and it was that radical tolerance just by example. Um, really cool. You know, the, the drawing well, room farce. And you can pose it, because we're, we're not judging the episodes on it, but it's not just radical tolerance on the screen. It's whoever made those, had those conversations and 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 pushed back on the production side. Yeah. It's those things go hand in hand to create what we have. Yeah. Yep. And that's the writing. That's the direction. That's the performances um, that may have been subverting even the atmosphere that they were doing producing the episode in. And that's um, art, baby. That's what collaborative art is about. Yeah. Because you'll find a lot of more conservative, and I don't mean that politically. I mean that in sort of the general term, uh, storytelling in professional arts to this day. And every the, the the people making the art, be it in stage, theater, television, whatever, 
it is rarely a, a, a politically conservative group of people. It is a <laughs> wide rainbow of individuals. It, indeed. And, Tolerance is almost necessary to be an artist working. Yeah. And that's not today. That's throughout time. Oh, no, and for sure. And so it's great when you see, uh, I think, and, 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 and once again, Keith and I speak from a, a place of privilege, and I recognize that nothing will ever be enough, right? We could go through this and pick the shit out of it through today's a 2020 lens if we wanted to. And in 20 years, somebody can pick the shit out of our conversation yeah. right now. But I think for its time, for what it's trying to do, and for the battles, the, the hurdles it had to jump in order to tell the story it told, I got to give it I got to give it the kudos. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I think it elevates what otherwise would be a pretty stereotypical woman dressed as a man. To, you know, like it, that's a Shakespearean trope. You see in opera, you see you see that trope constantly. Um, but it rarely addresses the, you know, you see in Shakespeare, you see in opera, you see in classic literature, you know, a woman dresses as a man, they're friends, but she's in love with them, blah, blah, blah. That the whole thing happens all the time. But this was a, I was going to say modern adaptation of that from 1993. Uh, but I think elevated it in a very interesting way. Um, so so yeah, so that's obviously we've talked at nauseum about that. Everyone's tired of us talking about that. The other piece of this that makes it very important, and Mike doesn't know why, and I don't think the show knew why yet, but the introduction of the Dominion. Um, I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I know that Armin Shimmerman said later how proud he was to have the first mention of the Dominion happen in a Ferengi episode. Like that was, it's, it's a, a bit of a, a feather in the cap um, to to play a big role in that. Um, so super fun, super important. Uh, yeah, I I highly recommend this episode. Um, it's it's a it's a little underrated gem, I think. Um, yeah, so I'm. Well, I clearly the, overrated it. So what are you giving it? I don't think you overrated it. I I think for its importance in the lexicon, I I think you're there. For me, I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it an 88. Okay. Very, very good episode. Uh, so next week, another fascinating episode called Necessary Evil. Uh, going to be fun to talk about. So we will be talking about that next week. Uh, if you are still watching, thank you so much. Tell a friend. We very much appreciate it. Give us a like. Give us a hey, subscribe. Keith, what else is happening on the channel? Anything else exciting? Well, we are, we are now uh, debuting our new show, K&M Geekly, uh, a weekly show where uh, Mike and I discuss geeky stuff that we uh, are interested in that week. We'll have some uh, throwbacks to our childhood as well as super contemporary stuff that's happening right here in the minute. This coming week, we are going to be reviewing Halloween Ends uh, and the horror genre, and Mike doesn't know about it. Uh, maybe he does, but I'm going to do a definitive ranking of every single one of the 13 Halloween movies. So cool. Uh, Looking forward stay, to that. Stay tuned for that. I literally have it on my phone, giving it some thought. Very important. Hey, if you appreciate what we're doing here, come be part of the team. You can be a producer. You know how the producers had to fight on this show? Mm -hmm. You can fight for us with your wallets. Uh, join the likes of those on the screen, <laughs> um, especially uh, Worf's boot shivs. Thanks for joining. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you all. It means a lot. It really means a lot. I can't tell you. Keith and I don't wear our emotions on our sleeves much, but we appreciate 
so much the the love and support. In fact, uh, a few of you have have upped your donations in the past few days, and so we appreciate that quite a bit. Uh, For sure. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. So uh, anyway, we'll see you back next week and uh, check out a new episode of Toys on Saturday. So we are Saturday, Monday, Wednesday in your feed. That is way too much of us. I'm tired of that much of yeah. us, but we appreciate you watching. So uh, till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KNM. <laughs>